podcast is too small. Hey guys, it's Kat. We've got a very special mini-sode for you today. Recently, I got the chance to interview author Jennifer Cation Armstrong about her new book, Sex and the City and Us. Jennifer is an accomplished writer and a huge fan of Sex and the City, and her new book is truly fantastic. It's a smart, funny history of the making of the show and its cultural impact on the world. I promise you'll love it. So please enjoy this interview and then go buy her book. So here it is, my interview with Jennifer Cation Armstrong. Wow, okay, so do you prefer Jen or Jennifer? Either one of those is fine. Um, I guess we'll say Jennifer to give you something to do in this case, since it'll be, it's it's professional that way, right? Yes, so you, you we'll try to keep things, <laughs> keep things fresh. <laughs> Um, all right. Wow. Okay. So I know from reading your book that you, um, were a big fan of the show and I really appreciate you setting things up in this book, um, by explaining your background and connection to the show because it helped, I feel like it really helps position the reader in a place that it's really, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to say this. It makes me feel better as a as an insane person who's completely obsessed with this show to know that like the person writing this, while a professional author and like thorough researcher, also like has an incredibly deep personal connection to the show. It just sort of creates a level of trust. Um, so I just wanted to say I really appreciate that. Um, but also, how what made you what kicked off your decision to actually take the time to write this book? I mean, it's something that actually has been on my mind since I left my full-time job at Entertainment Weekly in 2011. I did some reporting on the show and then the movies, the subsequent movies while I was there. Um, and, you know, had it kind of in the back of my head even then, because I had talked to the writers a fair amount. And like, just from the very beginning, I was like, oh, it's so like they have such great stories that are really, you know, it's the stories of the show what came from these women. And I thought like, oh, this would be cool someday. And I'm kind of glad I waited because it let me kind of figure out how to write a book, quite honestly, like it takes some practice. And I am happy that I waited this long. And also like, I really felt like, you know, I had more of a personal connection, as you said, to this show than any other show I've written about. Um, I've also written about the Mary Tyler Moore show, and that was personal as well. But this was like, the you know, this really did change my life, this show. And the other part of that is that I don't feel like I'm alone by a long shot in that. There's magic about this show that changes people's lives. And it sounds crazy, but it's just true. There's something about this thing at that time. And sometimes, you know, like a lot of younger women are still catching on to it now. Um, but, you know, it just, it, it had this effect on people. And I, for me, like, that's what I look for in a subject for a book in terms of a TV show. I find that real. I love what you said about uh, people still like young, young girls connecting to it today, because you think, oh, there must be some kind of gap, you know, they're not going to relate. But when a show has core ideas and values that sort of um, resonate with people that just are human, I think about I read this long piece about 
friends and how like young young millennials on the younger end of that spectrum right these days are watching friends of course it's on netflix so they're you know they're like whoa i'm gonna go through this whole thing and they're feeling this sense of nostalgia for something they never had which is um sitting around a coffee shop without distraction without your phone in front of you talking to your friends and having actual conversations um they're like i wish my friends and i could do that um so it is really weird how something can just hit a nerve like that Yeah. And I really even do go back to what I said before about the writers here, because I think it's a huge part of this effect, which is I was very interested and really obsessed with in this book as a theme, women telling their own stories. And I think it's because these stories came from women who were experiencing these exact things at that exact time, that it feels like one long conversation among girlfriends who have never met. And it, it, that, I think that that is the key to the magic of the show. I think that's why I had this feeling of like, oh, I could go do this because I really like, I, that's what I was responding to. I was responding to actual women who were telling their stories through these characters and were saying, yes, you can do this. You can have this life. You wrote about, uh, it's so brief in the book, but I had to go research it um, because I was like, what what a nugget and what a gem I never knew about. Um, this woman is, I guess it's pronounced Neith, Neith Boyce. Oh, yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? And then also, if there are any other nuggets that you found in researching that you weren't able to include in the book? Um, yeah. So Neith Boyce, um, I was lucky I don't know if luck is exactly the right word. Obviously, I was doing this a little bit on purpose, but I was reading the book um, Spinster by Kate Bollock, which is fantastic. And it's it's sort of a combination of her own experience as a single woman um, well into her 30s and 40s and a history kind of of spinsters, you know, throughout time. And this was one of them. And it really struck me as kind of the first Carrie Bradshaw, you know, Um, she was, I want to say around the turn of the last century. I think that that's right. Like late 1890s, which is insane, right? Like that's insane about it is it's so long ago. Um, So around like 1900, um, she was, I couldn't find anybody really earlier than that who was doing this but she wrote a column for Vogue about being a single woman and it's so hilarious because yeah I quoted a little bit of it and like it's really it still feels like yep that sounds about right you know she talks about like my my family is like how are you gonna do this and you know whatever um and I just I was really interested in kind of this idea of how interested the world seems to be. It's almost like a prurient interest. It's very strange. It's like, how do they do it? The single ladies. Uh, <laughs> they right? should you be know? so miserable yeah. and sad. Yes. How, how do they live their lives this way? Tell us all the details. And it seems like it's always been the go-to way that like women could could kind of break in, you know, even then at a time when other than that, it's not like there were a lot of women writing columns you know, but there was something about like, if she was willing to give us a glimpse into this crazy lifestyle she had, um, I believe they called her a bachelor girl at the time. Um, and she was of course living in New York city because this is very, this is not, there's a reason this is a trope is that like, that's how women could be alone is by going into a city and like getting a secretarial job or, or a something. nanny job. I think about like, Joe right. March in little women, you yep. know? 
Exactly. So I was just in that particular part of the book, I was trying to figure out like, what, where does this come from? Because it is a trope. And it's like, why is this a literary trope that has gone on for so long? And how long has it gone on? It turns out, you know, more than 100 years. And, you know, this Candace Bushnell was just kind of picking up on this long literary tradition of women writing about their single lives. And that then became the show. Uh, you found in, um, in well, I, I found peppered throughout the book some quotes here and there from actual, like just what seems to be just people on the street, as it were. Fans. Yeah, regular people. Yeah. So <laughs> how did you go about finding these people to talk to? Because I thought that was such a great touch. Um, you're providing all this background about how the writers came together and what their histories were and how they brought that to the show and all of that. But then you also make sure to include some real fans in there, which, um, I mean, fans are, are a huge reason the show is so successful. So how did you find those people? Um, you know, it, some a lot of them are friends or friends of friends. I kind of put word out on social media and that sort of thing and just said like, you know, I'm looking for people whose lives were affected by this show. Can you, you know, here's how you can tell me about it. Um, and, so, and so it's partly that and it's partly just pure, like, sometimes I would wonder, like, is there a gay woman who had an, you know, experience or whatever? And I would kind of like Google around and see if somebody had written about it. Because a lot of, um, you know, there's, there's plenty of personal essays out there about this show, too. But um, yeah, you know, part of that came from my idea to tell my own story. And I thought, well, if I have this story, a bunch of other people are going to have stories. Um, It also, I have to say, was very much inspired by my sister, who's 10 years younger than I am. Um, So, you know, I was watching in my 20s, but she was watching in her teens. And she kind of went off on this, not rant exactly. She's very, she speaks very passionately at almost all times. And she, she went on this thing with me. We were at, we were at a mall and she, she started going like, you don't understand. Like Patricia Field changed my life. She's like, I don't even think you know this, but I used to sneak downstairs to watch the show when I was a teenager. Mom wouldn't let me because of the sex, but I didn't want to watch the sex. I wanted to watch the fashion. <laughs> and, you know, she's like, at that time we didn't have fashion bloggers and Instagram and stuff like that. She's like, I had Vogue in this show to tell me as a girl in Homer Glen, Illinois, what was cool. This was the only way I had to know. And, you know, she, my sister is now a costumer on the the TV show, Chicago Med. Um, And so she's like one of her first fashion projects ever was to go to Target and get like strappy shoes and fabric flowers and a hot glue gun and make herself like her version of Carrie Bradshaw shoes. So she's like, you don't understand, like this changed the trajectory of my life. Like I wanted to be Patricia Field. And I thought like, that's so like, that's so touching. And it's a different story from mine, which is more of a romantic story. So I was like, there have to be all kinds of stories like this. And that was kind of how that came together. And it's really important to me to talk about how these shows affect our affect real people's lives because, you know, like celebrities are fine, but I, that's not my main interest. So, um, you know, the celebrities are great. The writers are great. I love how all of this comes together in like 
it really is just about women telling women's stories, you know, from top to bottom. It really is. Well, one of the things that, well, before, before I move on, I just want to say I, you couldn't be more right about pretty much everyone I've ever talked to in doing our podcast, um, having a very specific, very emotionally poignant story about, well, maybe not always, but memorable moment, um, about how they, found the show. Like, I, I mean, it's, it's wild. Um, and I think it's because people, people remember the moment when they found it, because once they find it, they're like completely engrossed. And for those of us who came to it when it was already like all done and on DVD, um, we just watched all of it at once. And like, it completely changed everything. So you, you said that, uh, your main, you know, what you want to focus on is women telling women's stories. And I think that was one of my biggest takeaways from your book was, um, I was aware from reading IMDB trivia and just the things I could find on the internet, um, of, you know, the women, the female writers. And of course, as I started to research for the podcast, um, you know, as, as we've done our show, we've become familiar with the names like Ginny Bix, you know, people who, but those people became real people for me, um, reading your book, which I think is one of the greatest gifts that this book gives because, you, you know, we'll know, oh, this person wrote this episode. Oh, um, you know, I like, oh, I, I, I think I like her episodes. Wow. But this gives an idea of like how these people, how everything kind of dovetailed and came, all these women came together. And um, one thing that struck me was the idea that, you know, the kind of rule they had in the writer's room about it has to have happened to you or like a friend of you. There has to be one degree of separation or we're not putting it in the show, which is why so much of this stuff resonates so deeply with people. Um, so how did you, was it easy for you to get in contact with, with the, the people involved with the show that you uh, got in contact with? Uh, were they, were they at all concerned that you were going to focus on behind the scenes, like gossip stuff or did your you know work kind of allay their fears about that? I mean, I'm lucky in that, like the more books I do, the more I can, that's, it's so important to me. I'm always like, I know it's annoying for me to say like, please read my book, but like, look at it because it's not, you know, cause I don't do that kind of gossipy behind the scenes stuff. Um, unless it's sort of relevant to the show or whatever. Um, but, and the other thing was that I had talked to a couple of them, um, and they like remembered me from when I was at entertainment weekly. So that helped in terms of the writers. Um, and then, you know, my last book, Seinfeldia did fairly well. So I think that that helped a little bit too, that I could show them at least reviews if they don't want to read the whole book, like that it's really a respectful cultural history. It's not just like, and especially this show, like we know that it attracts a certain level of tabloidy, you know, attention. So I really, I just try to explain to them. I explain to anybody, like, here's what my intention is. Here's what my process is. And the writers, I mean, everyone was so sort of generous and wonderful. Um, the writers in particular, I have come to love so, so much. And I can also just tell you, like, the, their ongoing relationship with each other is so heartening. Like, they're still all really good friends. And they, like, email each other their problems because they're on different coasts now. Um, but because they talked about such intimate things with each other, it's like that bond is never going to go away. And they were just telling me recently that, you know, they're like, no, we still, you know, we have like kids and husbands and stuff like that now, but we still email each other. Like, you'll never believe this crazy thing that's going on. I wish we still had a show, you know? 
Um, so it's, it's really cool because I got to sort of get a glimpse, a little inside glimpse of how that works. And it's still going because there's just like, you know, they, they talked about stuff they didn't talk about with anyone else. In the book, there is a bit about Darren Starr talking about learning about sex from going to the movies as a kid, um, which I think yeah. you know, we all have our own um, kind of stories about how, you know, the things we saw and the things we snuck. Um, and I, interestingly, mm-hmm. for me, just with the age I was, I remember seeing real sex on HBO, um, which is why it's so funny. My husband, who's my co-host on our show, um, pointed out early on and when we were starting to cover the show for our podcast that it, the Sex in the City, the early years, um, mm-hmm. felt like a real sex kind of companion. And then to see you draw that parallel that parallel in the book was um, really cool. I was like, oh my gosh, it's, it's true. Um, they were kind of yeah. echoing that. Do you think though that um, – uh, do you, do you, as a pop culture researcher and writer, are you, do you see anything on television today that kind of, um, I don't know, is, seems to be taking that place for people that Sex and the City did? Um, I mean, Girls is over. That's the that's the comparison everybody likes to make. But um, what's what's out there right now that you've got your eye on as far as what's te- you know what's there to teach young women what they're allowed to be and do. That's a good question. Um, I my instinct. I have two two things that popped into my head, um, and there's it's funny because in some ways they're so different from Sex and the City. But Broad City, I mean, is definitely not. You know, it's. I always say it's kind of the anti-Sex and the City. It's like not glamorous <laughs> at all. Um, I think of some of the things that happened to them on that show, and it's like that would not happen to uh, the girls on Sex and the City. But they do have you know they talk about sex a lot um and they have the friendship aspect as well but they really talk very frankly about sex and even they've done things like the one that sticks with me is they had a an episode about pegging <laughs> yeah um, uh, on broad city and like even like we didn't even go there on sex and city like they really picked up where sex and the city left off you felt like sex and the city covered a wide variety of positions and acts and things like that but still didn't do pegging. So, you know, they're, they're doing that stuff. And I would also say, I think Insecure has a lot of, you know, Sex in the City echoes as well. It's, it's, it's more, you know, it's starting out at a different level. It started out as a very sophisticated, beautiful, well done show from, from day one. They didn't have to find their way as much as Sex in the City, but they also have done a lot of kind of that frank, sex talk and sex scenes that we really never would have seen on even sex in the city. So there are, play, there are shows that are kind of picking up where sex in the city left off. It's like, okay, we've done like up the butt. We've done all of that basic stuff on sex in the city. We can, we can move on and be even more adventurous on these. Shows. Right. I think uh, people can forget. Um, and you talk, you talk about this in the book, you know, I think a lot of people don't give the show who, who aren't obsessed with it and aren't familiar with it. Don't give it as much credit as it's due. And I think so many of the think pieces today are about how tone deaf it was and the missteps, which are, of course are there. Um, but at the same time, I mean, a thing that struck me, cause I, I, of course watching now there's stuff that seems quaint and you're like, Oh my God, gosh, Mrs. Yeah. Up the Butt, whoa, it's like, it's so crazy. But at the time, it right. certainly was. And um, the, one of the things you covered in the book that absolutely floored me, because I I guess I'd never thought to go read 
early reviews of the show were how incredibly harsh and misogynistic and um, just the stuff about professional TV critics talking about Sarah Jessica Parker's angular face and her stringy hair and like just tearing these women down for their behavior and attitudes and how the show really was groundbreaking in that way. Oh my God. I, it's, so it's, first of all, I just say it's one of my favorite things, period, in these books to go read early reviews. Cause when else do you do that? Like you said, and it's almost always funny, like even with other shows that I've done, you know, I read early Seinfeld reviews and they like clearly are all like, this will only last one episode, you know, like it's always funny um, to kind of like go back and make fun of those. But this one was a real revelation, like you said. And as you may have noticed, I kind of had fun in that se- section because I basically was like, you know, internet trolling them <laughs> back. At the time that they, you know, they couldn't have been at the time. So I was like, oh, really? Um, can you imagine how much like Tom Shales from the Washington Post would get dragged oh, now? On the I, I, for- I just pulled up the quote, but I, I'm glad you mentioned Tom Shales because I wrote it down. He mentions um, yeah. her hair as quote, hanging down in hideous gnarled strands. Like, who are you? And and not to mention, there's a very weird combination in almost all of his reviews of the show of, like, bashing the women's um, appearance and then sexualizing them as well. Um, it's really creepy, and I can only make one, you know, it's like my armchair psychologist can only come to one conclusion there. Um, it's pretty gross. And the only thing I can come up with is, you know, that these reviewers were just terrified of the show. Um, they had such odd at times, um, interpretations. They often, a lot of them kind of brought up this idea of like these poor desperate women. And I was like, were they though? Because I like the show I was watching was exactly the opposite. So the only thing I could come up with is that they were kind of projecting their own, issues onto them like they wanted them to be desperate like these women were the anti Bridget Jones they were not desperate I mean the only one who talks who even wants to get married is Charlotte you know the rest of them and she has pretty high standards and the rest of them are just like whatever and I think that's what really freaked people out but they didn't even know how to say that so instead they just were like really really unbelievably mean in a way that I think would not fly today. Oh, 100%. That was absolutely striking. Um, and also I just had to, I wanted to give you props for a line that I noticed that I hope was purposeful, but maybe it wasn't. Um, uh, oh God, where is it? I, I wanted to give you, oh, <laughs> uh, you said you were having fun, um, with that scene, that segment of the book talking about, um, yes. the, critics but i found another line you were talking about the up the butt cab ride scene and you your sentences this was a discussion heretofore unknown in the annals of female driven television shows i see what you did there um and i, I hope yeah. you meant to yeah, well, thank you thank you <laughs> well it's it was i i just felt like a little wink i was like oh okay so like this book is it's really all of it is fun but like it's you know it's definitely a cultural kind of snapshot and you're it's very well researched and then i was like oh oh she got at least one pun in there and i really appreciate it oh, yeah. i mean i cannot begin to compete with the punnery of sex in the city but, you know, a little here and there. Well, and that I think just speaks to um, what was so 
great about the show is that even when it got into the later kind of when it settled into itself and it became more um, serious and there are moments on it that where you're crying and, you know, it just hurts your heart. But in the same episode, they're able to have a scene with Samantha, you know, Act, singing like an opera singer while she has an orgasm and um and punning you know everywhere and it made it made sex this thing people could talk about and um and joke about and be devastated about and it it just became like kind of this really well-rounded human experience that I I'm glad your your book exists we try to do this on our show um to give people a better sense of like how important and well-rounded the show was instead of just some dumb thing that people tend to characterize it as today. Like, Oh, you know, it's basic, you know, the, Oh, it's these white girls, you know, drinking cocktails. It's like, well, it was a lot more than that. Exactly. That was my main, that was like probably my main mission with this is I feel like it hasn't gotten its due. Um, I share New Yorker, critic, Emily Nussbaum's kind of, you know, feeling about this show that like, you know, it predates the Sopranos by a few months. So, you know, I, it, it, it deserves as much credit for what we see on television right now and streaming and HBO as the Sopranos does, but because the Sopranos is about, you know, white middle-aged men with problems that, you know, that, and it's dark and there's killing, um, that gets to be a serious show, but it's, it, in many ways, I'm not denigrating the Sopranos, but like in many ways, like you said, and so, you know, it, Sex and the City was more challenging because if you look at an episode like My Motherboard Myself, um, like you said, where I, I cry every time I watch that, and yet that also has the storyline about Samantha dating the wrestling coach. Yeah. <laughs> and she dressed up in whatever you call that wrestling outfit with him and having sex with it. Like, that's crazy that they can do that and it and it isn't and it doesn't come off insane you know that they can toggle that kind of emotion in that way it's really it's a miracle to me that i mean especially reading your book you know and seeing how all the pieces had to come together and i mean we all know that uh the show kind of it's a little clunkier in the first season and you know they're still finding their footing in season two but to that's part of the beauty is watching them kind of find what the sweet spot was, but it's a miracle to me with all the different people involved, all the opinions that anything good gets made, let alone something like this, where my, my motherboard myself is probably the perfect example of the, that of this show's ability to juggle that. And to, I, I don't know any other show that's that good. Um, that's been that good no, at doing that. No, it's that, that, I mean, that episode to me, like I just did a, I had to do like a, definitive ranking of all the episodes for Vulture and um, this and like I Heart New York were my were my two top ones but it, it is a real work of of scripting in that case I mean I just rewatched my motherboard yet again recently and was so struck by even like there's a great conversation that happens because Samantha has lost her orgasm um, presumably because Miranda's mother's death has brought up something for her that we never quite get to, um, which I love as well. But there's this whole great conversation in like the flower shop or something where she's, they talk about orgasms and they're like, they can't, they're like, well, you don't have them every time. And she's like, I do. And they're like, every time, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's a whole conversation about the female orgasm in addition to the humor of the, the, you know, wrestling coach and, 
Samantha masturbating all day. She, she puts aside an entire day to masturbate. Um, and you know, gets a call from Charlotte and she's like, I've told you I was going to be masturbating all day. Um, like there's so much that goes on in that episode in terms of like mood and we still get to the end and we're all sobbing. Like I just, I do that thing with other women where I talk about that episode and we, by the end, we're both like, and then when they walk up the aisle together and they're friends, like you just like, oh yeah, it's, it's so heartbreaking. I, we had a revelation while recording our episode about that, about that episode, um, about exactly what you said about Samantha. I I don't know how many times I'd seen that episode and cried to it, but in talking about it, we kind of realized um, exactly what you're saying that what, what, what is it that is, that is in Samantha's past that is, who has she lost? Um, what, what is she feeling about herself? And they, and they don't explore it and you're left to think about it. And that, that was one of the things that, um, the show was so expert at, I think. And one of the things you talk about in in the book is how they avoided families, uh, family members for the most part. And, um, I've always loved that and, and loved how that enabled the show to focus on them as friends and the kind of support they can give each other as friends. And I feel like that's, that, that's kind of a great example for viewers that, you know, y- you can, you can have people who mean everything to you that aren't your family. Yeah. And I think especially at that time in TV, if you think about it, it's like TV comedy had been so historically focused on families, traditional heterosexual, you know, families that to instead make the family into the friends was still pretty big. I know friends had basically done it, but really they did they it's I mean it's sort of creepy in retrospect when you notice the lack of family around (laughs) like for weddings oh yeah Charlotte's Charlotte's like faceless dad you see like you're like oh right she has a dad oh oh there he goes like we don't even you you know there he goes Yeah. yeah it's really weird and it's so striking that one you know I think maybe there's a few other times but Basically, my motherboard is one of the few times when you really see speaking family members, right? We, we see her sister. Um, they kind of had to do it. And that great ongoing joke where the, the priest keeps getting all the family relationships wrong um, and marrying her Miranda to like her <laughs> brother or whatever. Um, I've been there. I know exactly like that basically happened at, at one of, I think it was my grandmother's funeral or something too. Um but, you know, like that, it's, it really is striking and how they tried one, that one time I talked about early in, in the show where Wesley, Charlotte's brother, is on the scene and like has a relationship briefly with Samantha. And then they're like, nope. Yeah, it was weird. It was just weird. And they acknowledged it like they, they knew it. And so they just didn't touch it again, really. They just, they said like, we, we had such a hard time, like, casting him and we were like well he you know and they felt like they didn't quite get it right so then it was like well what if we just don't do this again um and it turns out like I don't think I think I only really noticed it in sort of retrospective analysis the 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 lack you know um but it is weird how as time goes on like bigger and bigger events are happening babies are being born you know weddings are happening and there's still we're more interested in the men's families for the most part we get to know some of them you know bunny and um steve's mom pretty well but we don't 
deal with the women's families almost at all. It's so interesting. Um, so f- finally, and I could talk to you for 18 hours about this book. It's so I good. I am, I, I will, you, you get our strongest recommendation. I can't believe how good it is. And I'm going to tell everyone I've ever met. Um, yeah. but, um, uh, f- just on a personal note, how do you feel about the ending of the show? Because there, it's everyone's pretty divided on um, how they feel about w- whether it did a disservice to the character and what the show was trying to say. Um, and specifically, I'm talking about Carrie ending up with Big. Of course, I'm pretty. I don't. I. I I'm glad you're asking, only because it means that I wasn't too. Harsh you weren't. In the- no, you're pretty even-handed. Uh, That's I why I'm asking. <laughs> I tried to keep it under control. Partly, I, I do have such respect for Michael Patrick King and the writers that I don't, they should have their vision. It's their show. But um, it, I think it also speaks to the show and how important it is to people that we all feel so strongly about it. Um, I think it's a, it's actually a good sign, even if we didn't, if we didn't quote like the ending, it, we still loved the show. And um, I am very anti-big. I, I do not care for Big as a character. I always thought I would have liked him as a character if the point of him was what I think Bigs are in real life. We've all had yes. a Big. And I remember just ranting at a bar after that show, after the finale. I was like, no one ends up with the Big. That's the point of the Big, <laughs> is that he, you can't have him. He doesn't come to Paris to get you. You think to yourself, oh, I wish Big would come to Paris to get me. But that is the point. You have to reach within yourself and find your own big and take yourself where you want to go. And so for me, like my dream, you know, would be that she would come back to New York, realizing that she mainly missed her friends and belonged with them, but also and that they were her soulmates, which I think was the, the for me, that was the point of the show. And, um, you know, New York even like what business does she have being away from New York? None. Um, you know, like the point of Paris is partly that it's amazing and it's a dream, but she gets there and can't quite make her way. And to me, that felt like because she doesn't belong there. She belongs in New York with her friends. And so that part to me is annoying. And I've never understood. I understand the allure of a big, but I've never understood the idea of them as an actual couple. Like, what do they talk about? Like them being married now, I just still don't get it. Totally, you know what I'm saying? Like, like I just still don't really know what they like talk about over dinner now, or like what do they watch together, or what do they have in common, and like what do they do on weekends? Like, I really don't see it. So that's, that's just. I me. feel like that really speaks to how much we all think about this show and think about what these characters are doing right now uh, because I do too and I'm glad to hear you that you're a crazy person like I am but I think about that stuff too like I can totally imagine what um, what Miranda and Steve are sitting around doing and talking about I could plan their whole day for you I could write dialogue for you about what they're talking about for days because they're real characters they make sense together Um, but you're right it's like what are what are Carrie and Big talking about besides like him putting his feet up on the you know year weight couch in the you know movie and uh you know how many how much her pillows cost like what are they what are they discussing yeah I really I honestly like in my head I've had to like like again like you said it's crazy we talk about them like they're real and they're not but for me I just started to I had 
especially writing this book, I had to like reconcile my feelings about big and get on with my life. And so I was like, you know what? This is just, you know how we all have a friend who married a guy who we were like, eh. Yeah. But we had to just like take, we had to finally just accept her decision and be like, okay, whatever's going on there, I, I have to accept it. And like, he's fine and charming and I'll hang out with him once in a while, but I just have never understood him. And I feel like those other men are so finely drawn on that show. The ones that they, the others end up with, you know, I am in love with Steve and Harry. Like, I think they're both like, I'm like, yes, you should be married to those guys. Um, even if it meant her rejecting Blair Underwood for him, which, okay, fine. <laughs> uh, that was hard to take, but I get it. Um, I adore Steve. So, you know, I get both of those really strongly and they're such clear characters with flaws and I just, I, I'll never understand big, but that's, that's what we all, we just love the show so much. And I really, and that's why we care so much. And that's why we are so hypercritical and get so angry. Um, but we, you know, we have to, I feel like we're constantly giving that caveat, um, when we're recording our episodes. Um, so people don't think that we're like, because we rag on Carrie and her decisions and stuff, but we always come back around to, but we love her so much because she's a real person who makes horrible mistakes and is still, you know, uh, she's a human. Um, and yeah. I feel like you did, uh, you, I learned so many, uh, we haven't even touched on, you know, behind the scenes, like things about, you know, the logistics of filming and, and paparazzi and New York city. And there's so much in your book that people really have to go read it to, um, learn all about It's It's really wonderful. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, uh, to me, um, for, for our show. We, we love the show dearly and to have this, um, book as kind of like, a a I don't know, a show Bible of like, you know, if you really want to know uh, how everything came together, you have to read this book. So we, we really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's so, it's really fun to talk to people who like really know the, the show too, you know, they're not like, so what is this sex in the city? Um, yeah, it's, and I enjoy your podcast so much. So there it is. Huge thanks to Jennifer for taking the time to chat. Isn't she a doll? So go buy her book. It's called Sex in the City and Us. And then let us know your thoughts. And until next time, carry on.